Welcome back to Apex. This is take 10. We will see if I can get the intro correct this time. And if not, uh, we may be giving up um, fully. We may just scrap this entire episode and start again tomorrow. But hopefully, this one will be a success. So far, definitely doing much better than the others. (laughs) Um, You all will notice as these episodes continue to come out, which they will, that there will only be one voice talking to you through the microphone and it will be me. Um, And that's how we're going to do these next few episodes, at least until I can figure out a way to come up with potentially some guest speakers or, you know, just some guests that I can have on the podcast with me. Otherwise, you get to hear me ramble and try to be funny for, you know, our about hour-long episodes, although they might be shorter with me here. Uh, They won't. They will be longer, most likely. I apologize in advance. It will be an adventure, and I'm hoping that you all are okay with sticking through that adventure with me. And this episode will be a little different. It will feel repetitive uh, because I'm going to restart the Lilla Lombardi episode. So we have Lilla Lombardi's story part one out right now that you can listen to. And I contemplated going back and then just starting off where I left off with that, but I did a lot of thinking and a lot of reflection about how that episode ended and about how this podcast is going to continue, and I felt that it would be disrespectful to try to pick up where I left off um, at the last episode, and I think that Starting fresh this time is going to be good, and I'm going to start fresh with Lella Lombardi. I did think about redoing Maria Teresa de Philippus as well, but I spared all of you, and I will not be repeating that episode. I think it was good. It really did hit all the notes I wanted it to hit, and it was. there's no reason to redo it. Um, we will be continuing with the females in F1 series that we had done our little breakthrough on, and I will be finishing that out. And I'm not entirely sure how we will go about um, continuing the rest of the episodes after I've finished the females in Formula One, but I'm going to figure it out. And you are going to hear my voice in your ears much more frequently. And hopefully it will be pleasant. And the two loyal listeners that we have, yes, I checked our analytics before I started this, which um, I was honestly surprised after a year and a half that we had two people who are still listening um, religiously. And I just shout out to you guys. I don't know who you are. It just gives me a number, but it's a cool number to see. So yeah, let's um, let's get it going. Let's start with Lombardi again. I am going to avoid saying her first and last name in together uh, too many times because, uh, boy, that list comes back real fast when I do that, and hearing me stutter is just not really the way that I want to restart this. But hopefully you all enjoy this and this new era that we are in, and we can all continue to chat and laugh and learn more about Formula One together. So let's see. Okay. Alrighty. So 
Lola Lombardi, she was pretty fucking cool, um, in my opinion, honestly. I think that if you listen to the other episode, it's obvious I was a fan. Uh, she was born in Frugarolo, which is a small town in Piedmont, Italy. And I mean, good luck trying to say that name two times. Uh, Piedmont, not hard. It might be Piedmont. I'm not entirely sure. I don't know how Italians say the names of their towns, but Frugarolo was not easy. She grew up with her father being a butcher, and her first job was actually to drive the delivery van for her family's shop. So, you know, we already see that kind of proclivity to be driving. I mean, that's her first job. It was probably because she was very passionate about it. And she carted briefly, so she did kart racing. Um, Definitely not the same caliber as Formula One, but something that was exciting, I'm sure. And again, you know, she drove a delivery van for her family's shop. She started kart racing, then she realized she wanted to get into bigger cars. So she bought her first car in 1965 and raced in Formula Monza. I had a really hard time finding information on what Formula Monza is. Uh, So we don't get a whole lot of info there. We do just kind of uh, go, ooh, Formula Monza, and then ignore it and move on. And please don't ask me questions about it because I don't have the answers. We move on to 1968. Uh, So at this point, she is, if I can do the math properly, Really 27, and she moves into Italian Formula 3. And so the 1968 season of Italian Formula 3, she ends as the runner-up to Franco Bernab- Bernabe? Bernabe? I don't know how you say his name. I'm gonna butcher it. Please don't don't come for me. 1970, so two years later, she races a Baraghi in the Italian Formula 850 series. She won four out of the 10 races in the calendar, and she ended up winning the championship for that, which pretty gosh darn impressive if you ask me. A year later, we move into 1971, and she moves to London. Who doesn't want to live in London, right? You know, you're a young woman, you want to live your best life, and she goes on to win the Formula Ford Mexico Championship. Formula Ford is pretty self-explanatory. It was a formula of Ford cars. 1974, three years later, so we do have some gaps in her life. You know, there are things where maybe she wasn't doing something, or maybe she just wasn't entering in championships those years. I don't see anything in my research that I could find, but she starts racing in Formula 5000 with an Eagle Chevrolet. So she went from Ford to Chevy. Most of us do. Um, The F5000 ran around the world from 1968 to 1982. So it was not a very long-lived formula, but it was definitely there for a little bit. We have almost 15 years of this formula happening. And F5000 was intended as a low-cost series for open wheel racing cars that no longer fit into any particular formula. So, you know, open wheel would be exactly what it sounds like. The wheels of the car outside of the main body rather than below the body or inside the fenders. And the 5000 in the name stands for the maximum 5.0 liter engine capacity allowed in the cars. I, from what I can gather, my kind of common sense button says that probably wasn't the safest formula to be racing in. You know, it's all of these cars that no longer fit into any particular formula, and these formulas are very specific for a reason. A lot of that has to do with safety. But the Formula 5000 manufacturers did include McLaren, Eagle, March, Lola, Lotus, Elfin, Matik. 
I'm probably saying that wrong too, and Chevron. So you have a lot of these pretty normal racy manufacturers that we hear of today, and then you have things like Lola and Lotus and Elfin and Matik, which aren't necessarily super heard of, but they're not, at least not all of them are extinct. Some of them are. They have been sold or, you know, like Eagle. It's the same company as All American Racers, which established a Formula One team in the UK and rebranded their Euro location as Anglo American Racers. I thought that was kind of a little fun fact. (laughs) Probably not. It's probably only fun for me, but here we are. Formula One. We move into 1974 and her big debut in Formula One. She privately entered Brabham, supported by the Italian Automobile Club. Unfortunately, she fails to qualify, which we do see pretty frequently. I mean, I wouldn't say that it's specific to Lombardi. It's there are a lot of people who fail to qualify for those races. Unfortunately, they're just hard to get into. Then we move on to the next year, 1975. She didn't race this entire year. Uh, which I think is really interesting. She only entered rounds three through nine. So she joined March. They're a pretty shit Formula One team from what I could find about them, but they weren't terrible in Formula Two, Formula Three, and IndyCar, which I think makes sense that she joined um, their team. She had some exposure with them already from Formula 5000. You know, she she had an in, and I think that's, that's important to note. That year, 1975, her teammates that we see are Vittorio Brambi, and Hans Walk. Oh God, I'm gonna butcher it. It's gonna be bad. Hans Joachim Walkum Joachim. Nope, stuck. Brambia only had one win and two podiums in his six-year career. That included 74 race starts, so he was about as impressive as March was. Uh, you know, not not great. Stuck was arguably worse than both March and Brambia, having zero wins and only two podiums during his five-year career that included 74 race starts. It's not good. It's not great. <laughs> I mean, I feel like we should definitely be... Um, I don't know. I think you see more potential in some other women racers of the time who probably could have done more. But that's just my, I'm gonna, that's my soapbox and I will die on it. And this season was especially eventful for Formula One. You have the South Africa Grand Prix in Kailami on March 1st. So this is the third race in the 1975 season. Lombardi becomes the second woman after Maria Teresa de Filippis, who is amazing, to qualify for a Grand Prix. Pretty friggin' exciting, on my opinion. In my opinion, I'm gonna pretend I didn't mess up that that thing. It's gonna, we, It didn't happen. You didn't hear anything. On lap 23, unfortunately, Lombardi retires with a fuel system problem. So, I mean, this says more of the manufacturer, right? Her car had a fuel system problem. She herself did not have a problem driving the car. The car had a fuel system problem. Soapbox, I'm dying on it. Then we move on to the Spanish Grand Prix. This is in... They always gotta throw the hard names at me. Montjuic Park? No, because that's French and it's Spanish. So, Mont... Well, no, because Spain is pretty close to France-ish. No one mentioned that if I'm wrong. Let's just pretend that they're neighbors, okay? I'm gonna say... Montjuic Park Circuit, April 27th. So this race was bittersweet 
So Lombardi ends up scoring her first and only point in Formula One this race, which is very exciting. This is something that, you know, it it deserves to be celebrated over and over and over again. But this race was supposed to have a total of 75 laps and only 29 were completed. The Grand Prix Drivers Association, so the GDPA, immediately went on strike when they arrived at the circuit. And they did have good reasons. They didn't go on strike just because, you know, they were being whiny babies, but they did cite issues issues with the Armco barriers as a safety concern, and they sat in the garages on Friday because of it. So when team owners let it be known that neither they nor the teams would be paid unless they raced on Saturday, the strike ended. Which makes sense. I mean, you you gotta get paid, um, but it's... These Armco barriers were a big problem. They need to be there. There's a reason that they're there. Emerson Fittipaldi, who is the championship leader, drove three laps of the circuit before he refused to take his grid spot because he deemed the track unsafe. And honestly, he wasn't wrong. Fittipaldi had good instincts. He was an amazing racer. He he was accurate in thinking that he shouldn't sit in this race. And I think that that says a lot about instinct. You know, you can't be amazing at a sport like this and not have that instinct because otherwise, you just, things would not go well for you. The beginning of this race was all messed up. It's, again, not surprising. The strike caused a lot of confusion. It wasn't something that we all would, you know, sit here and love to see, right? No one comes back the day after a strike and goes, oh, I'm right back in the game, no problem. But we see Brambia, who is Lombardi's teammate, punt Mario Andretti into the back of Nicky Lauda hard enough to launch Lauda into his teammate Regazzoni. I had a lot of fun saying that name. I'm not going to tell you how many takes I had to cut because I said his name and then did like an Italian accent and I'm not going to do that. It's not okay. I'm not Italian. So this meant that both Ferraris were out before the end of the first lap. This is not great. <laughs> Patrick DePaye picked up suspension damage from the debris of that whole mess. So we have this issue happen. We watch, you know, it's three, four cars that are in this this accident. And instead of people going, oh no, this is bad. We should stop this and then clear the track and restart. They just let everyone keep going. And I think that's, you know, I do that. Have fun. Do live your best life, I guess. So then we see Wilson Fittipaldi and Arturo Merzario. Yep, messed that up. Mm -hmm. We're keeping it in though. They decide at this point that the race was not safe enough to continue and they dropped out. Again, I feel like we've had enough racers drop out. There's been enough of a disaster already. Why didn't we just cancel the race? Why didn't we just, we didn't, I'm sure there are reasons. I know there are reasons. The, it's, uh, it's still not good. It's not good. So we keep, um, we keep going with this disaster of a race and on lap four. So we have not gotten very far. We, we are still before lap four of this race and Jody Schechter suffers an engine failure, which not great. We don't love engine failures. No one recommends them. However, this spews a full tank of oil over the circuit. So it's not just his engine failed. His engine failed and then went all over the circuit. Now there's fuel everywhere. But it's the middle of a race. People are going kind of fast. And so Alan Jones and Mark Donahue are following. Both go hurtling into the barriers after hitting the oil that had been spilled from Schechter's engine failure. James Hunt falls into the same trap three laps later and meets with the same fate. So again, we see that the people who are in charge of this race, they're not being responsible. They're not stopping anything. They're not saying, hey, there is a major problem here. We need to stop 
get this cleaned up and restart or start with special circumstances or something. They're just letting this happen. I mean, there's a reason there was a strike. Uh, It's definitely pretty obvious. Andretti, who is now in the lead, but seven laps in, he has suspension failure and retires. So now Andretti is out. Uh, Ronnie Peterson then clips Francois Migot while attempting to lap him. Magot had a lengthy stop in the pits, but he was able to keep racing. So, I mean, that's good. It's not another person completely out of the race. But this was all only the beginning of how bad this would get. It's not good. Um, yeah, it gets it gets much worse. And I, it's, ugh, it's really bad, you guys. <laughs> um, so, race leader Rolf Stommelin experiences a rear wing failure while he crested the rise onto turn one on lap 26. This isn't great. No one needs a rear wing failure. These cars are severely aerodynamic. And when you mess with that, I mean, it's like taking a wing off of a plane, right? Like you're traveling fast enough that you're going to have an issue. It's going to be a problem. So he pitches into the barriers. Now, keep in mind, these barriers are the reason that this strike was happening. The Armco barriers were deemed unsafe and they weren't secure enough. And people knew this. And so they started this strike. Well, just to make this strike even more worthy of it having started in the first place, Carlos Pace, who was closely following Stomelin, smashes into the side of his car that has already been crashed. Now, Stomelin's car goes flying into a damaged set of barriers, which launches the car into an area with spectators. It's not good. Five spectators were killed during the accident, and Stomelin suffered severe injuries, including a broken leg, wrist, and multiple broken ribs. The physical injuries, I think, aren't great. I mean, no one wants their racer to be injured, especially their legs and ribs and wrists. Those are all things that you need to drive a car, but he also has on his conscience now the lives of five spectators, who all they did was they wanted to see people race. You know, they their only goal to be there was to watch people and that's kind of sad, I think. Yeah, I think that's honestly worse than the than the physical injuries that Stromelin sustained. I would be heartbroken. So race organizers, because again, I there's poor organization in regards to safety and general respect for human lives, but my soapbox um, on top of the lack of female representation is that Formula One has not always been the safest sport. It still is not necessarily the safest sport. There are a lot of things that need to be done, but it's... You know, we'll take it for now, I guess. But they take four more laps to call the race to a premature end. So we have five people who are deceased and four more laps of this race continue. I mean, that's just, it's disrespectful. Um, So at the end of lap 29, the results of the race are declared. So at this point in the race, 18 of the 26 race entrants had retired. That left eight finishing positions with only the top six receiving points. It's... I mean, at that point, just don't give anyone points. Cancel the race. But it's, uh, I mean, I don't know. I'm not, I'm no expert. I don't work for the FIA. I think that, and especially it was a different time, but still it's, it's not great. Due to the reduced race distance, the organizers opted to only award half points to the winners. Not, you know, to the, the fact that there were eight 
finishing positions. Not because of that, no, just because it was a shorter distance. I mean, of those eight people, those two really could have tipped the scales there. I don't know what they were thinking there, but the reason they gave was because of the reduced race distance. Again, that goes back to just being disrespectful for human life and what everyone must have been going through, but I digress. So this means Lombardi, who finished in sixth, scored the first points ever for a female in Formula One, which it was only a half point, so it's a little bit of a slap in the face. She still got a half a point, and that's a big deal because she was a female in Formula One who scored half of a point, and that had never happened before. So we're gonna we're gonna cheer her on. We're gonna give her a little round of applause if I can figure out how to edit that into this. And if not, she does not get a round of applause, but it'll all be in our hearts. We move on. Monaco Grand Prix, which is at the Circuit de Monaco on May 11th. Thank God that one's easy. I don't know why they have to make the other names so hard. This is the fifth race in the season. Lombardi was entered. However, there were many reports of rain for this weekend, so everyone was working very cautiously during qualifying. Unfortunately, Lombardi did not qualify for this race as there were 18 pole positions and she was about three seconds behind the final qualifier. Now, I mean, most people hear three seconds and they go, oh my God, that's only three seconds. And Formula One, a 16th of a second is a big deal. So I Again, you all probably know that, but I learned that um, starting this podcast, and it's crazy to me. You know, you think three seconds, and you're like, oh, that's not that much. And no, it actually can mean like six cars were in between you and the last qualifier. It's wild. So anyways, she doesn't end up racing in the fifth race just because she didn't qualify. We have the Belgian Grand Prix, which is Circuit Zolder on May 25th of 1975. It's the sixth race in the season, which is really hard to say, by the way. Lombardi qualifies, which is amazing. She's 23rd in a 24 car lineup. It's not good, but it's at least qualifying. And again, we see just how wonderful March's equipment is when on lap 18, she retires with engine failure. I'm going to go cry for a minute um, just because she was really robbed this season considering she was with March and they just couldn't get their cars to actually function. And that's just, it's, it's not great, but you can't help the manufacturer. You can't help their problems. We move on to the Swedish Grand Prix, the Scandinavian Raceway on June 8th. It's the seventh race in the season. Lombardi enters and qualifies again. She's 24th in a 26 car lineup. So we're seeing that she's not great at qualifying. She's not really the best qualifier out there, but we also see, I don't know how much of this would have been Lombardi and how much would have been the car because this race, again, she goes on to see another retirement in lap 10 with a fuel system failure. So all of these things with March seem to be pretty consistent. You know, it's all fuel, engine, those types of things. She just can't catch a break. We move on to the eighth race in the season, which is the Dutch Grand Prix. It's at the Circuit Park Van Zand. I said that backwards. Circuit Park Zandvoort on June twenty second. She enters and qualifies. This is great. She starts the race in twenty third, two positions ahead of the final twenty fifth qualifying spot. It's not bad. I mean, it's it's not good. It's not good. She qualified, which is more than other people did, but wow, she's got to get better at that. She finishes this race, though. She finishes in 14th. Um, she unfortunately doesn't score any points because, as we know, 14th place, you're not scoring points there, but you finished, and that's something considering your manufacturer's cars shit out every five seconds. Now, this is the Ninth race. It's the French Grand Prix. It's Circuit Paul Ricard on July 6th. Lombardi qualifies in 26th. 
the last of the qualifying positions. She finishes in 18th place. It's not a super eventful race. I mean, it's, I guess that's good considering the last eventful race ended in a lot of deaths. So we like not eventful sometimes. The 10th race in this season, the British Grand Prix, Silverstone, July 19th. Lombardi qualifies in 22nd of 26. That's not terrible considering all of her others. She qualifies one to two positions, if not the last position. I'll take 22nd, you know? Unfortunately, we hit her 18th lap, and this is going to shock all of you. This is going to shock all of you. Her car misfires. And so she has to retire. I'm gonna, I'm gonna just go, yeah, I'm crying in the corner. Absolutely. That's unacceptable. We have a fairly uneventful race again. There are a couple notable moments though. We have the 14th and final victory for Emerson Fittipaldi. We have the first and final pole position for Tom Price. So, you know, there are a few big names that we see, especially this time, this era of racing. There were all of these big names and it's hard to compete with that, right? And also, you know, all of these people are having their big moments all at the same time. Time. That's hard to keep up with. Then we move on to August 3rd, the German Grand Prix at Nürburgring. Nür- Nürburgring? I don't know how you say that. This is the 11th race in the season. Lombardi qualifies in 25th. It's the final qualifying position for this race. And hear me out. Hear me out. She, so she qualifies in 25th, which is the final qualifying position for this race. She finishes in 7th place. She literally proved that with her car working, she could just fucking kill it on the track, right? She flies ahead of her competitors from the final qualifying position to an almost point scoring finish. Who wouldn't love to see that? I mean, I would, that's amazing. Unfortunately, this race was pretty catastrophic for the majority of the grid with only 10 official finishers. I'm not going to say that that means that she only finished in seventh because there were 10 other finishers. I'm going to say that she hopefully would have finished in seventh or at least very close to seventh, despite only 10 official finishers. One of those was Mario and Andretti, who had finished 90% of the race distance before retiring from a fuel leak. And so when you finish a certain amount of the race distance before you retire, they allow you to be considered a finisher. And now we go to the 12th race. This is the Austrian Grand Prix in the, oh, Lord help me, Austrike Ring? Austrike Ring? I don't know. Someone just tell me what that is, please. The Austrike Ring August 7th. Lombardi qualifies in 22nd of 26. It's not terrible. She finishes in 17th. Not great, but I mean, it it was the last finishing position of this race. It wasn't good. However, this race was, it's not, it's not a good one. Uh, the race saw two deaths and one injury. We see Wilson Fittipaldi starting the mishaps of the race when he goes flying into the catch fencing and breaking his hand during qualifying on Saturday morning. So, I mean, again, you you kind of need your hand to drive. It's not good. Warm up on Sunday sees American racer Mark Donahue, who I actually want to do some episodes on later later on. I think he's he's really interesting. He sails into the crash fencing at the start of the first lap due to a tire puncture. So unfortunately, he had too much momentum behind him as he crashed and the fencing bundled under his car. The car was launched over the Armco barrier and slammed into the advertising hoarding right behind it. Debris from the car and fencing flew into two marshals who were in the area and both were airlifted to a nearby hospital. Donahue was conscious when he was pulled from the wreckage, but unfortunately during the airlift to 
to the hospital, he became unresponsive and subsequently died after an operation meant to relieve the pressure buildup in his skull. Manfred Schaller, one of the marshals who had been hit with debris, would also pass away after the incident. It's, I mean, I can't imagine getting hit with debris from a car crash and surviving. So, you know, that's, it's sad. Due to Fittipaldi's broken hand and Donahue's accident, Lombardi actually ends up starting the race in the 20th qualifying spot rather than her initial 22nd place. Um, But she did qualify for 22nd. She ended up in the 20th spot just out of circumstance. We move on to the 13th race in this season, Italian Grand Prix, the Autodromo Nazionale Monza on September 7th. She qualifies again. She's the 24th qualifying position in a lineup of 26 cars. In the 21st lap, she retires due to an accident. We move on to Watkins Glen. So now we're in the U.S. It's very exciting. This is October 5th, 14th and final race for the 1975 season. She qualifies in 24th. Now this is the last spot on the grid, but still, it's it's something. Um, she ends up picking up a terminal misfire in her Williams during warm-up and is unable to start the race. And then we see we see her teammate um, Jacques Lafitte. Lafitte? Lafitte? I feel like it's Lafitte. His name is Jacques. It's got to be Lafitte. He was also unable to start the race despite qualifying, but this was because he... I don't know how you do this. There's got to be something. I There is an explanation here, but he mistook visor cleaning fluid for eye drops just before the race start. And, you know, somehow this guy was the lead driver and not Lombardi. The the guy who can't tell visor cleaning fluid from eye drops was the lead driver. So he got the better car, even though he couldn't tell his visor cleaning fluid from his eye drops. But, you know, I don't know. I'm sure they had good reasons for that. So we go to 1976. Now she enters round one and rounds nine through 11, which is weird. You would think she would enter all of the rounds or none of the rounds, not some of the rounds, but we saw that in last season too. Lombardi is confirmed with March at the beginning of this season. So this is, it's good, right? Uh, But March ends up replacing Lombardi with Ronnie Peterson after he broke away from Lotus. So March said loyalty who? And they moved on. I just, boy, were they really gems to work for. I'm sure that doesn't take anything toxic and throw that out into the workplace. But Lombardi doesn't care. She's a boss bitch. She moved on from March because who needs them anyways? And she teamed with Bram Racing. This is unfortunately the last team she ends up racing for in Formula One. But she still raced for them. So we move on to the Brazilian Grand Prix, which is the Autodromo do Inter... That's got to be day, not do, right? I don't know. Interlagos, January 25th. It's the first race in the season. She qualifies in 22nd, which is the last position on the grid. After a pit stop on the first lap due to a jamming throttle, Lombardi pulls through and shows her racing ability once again by finishing in 14th. So she starts in the last position on the grid and she has a pit stop after her very first lap due to a jammed throttle, which is a problem. They get it fixed. She leaves the pit and she still finishes in 14th. So after bringing another finishing position to the absolute shit team that is March, Lombardi gets replaced by Ronnie Peterson after he left Lotus, which is another example of, quite honestly, a subpar man in this sport taking an impressive woman's spot. But I mean, hey, that's that's life, especially in the 70s. You know, we gotta, it, it's motorsports. We don't like women here. <laughs> 
the British Grand Prix in Brands Hatch, uh, July 18th. It's the ninth race in the season. So Lombardi returns under Ram Racing, and I really hope she had some choice words for March when she got there. But she's driving a Brabham BT44B with the DFV V8 Ford's Codsworth, Ford Cosworth, I can do that, engine from 1975. So she, it, it's not a new... It's not a new engine, um, but, you know, it's fine. Lombardi is not the only woman in this race with Davina Galitza. Her name is spelled G-A-L-I-C-A, but I know that it's Galitza. It's not Galica, who was a former Olympic skier also racing. This is amazing. We have a Formula One race with two women racing in it. It, It's literally history. Unsurprisingly, the car Lombardi was running didn't match up to the newer cars that her competitors were running, and therefore she doesn't qualify for the race. I mean, you can't take an engine from 1975 and toss it into this race, which is in 1976. I mean, it's a year old engine. You can't do that. Anyways, German Grand Prix. We're back at Nürburgring. It's August 1st, and it's the 10th race in this season. Lombardi once again does not qualify to the race due to the team, unfortunately. On Friday, German police showed up to impound Ram Racing's equipment per ex-driver Loris Kessel's instruction as he was taking legal action against the team for unfair dismissal. Really shows you the quality of the team she was signed with. Um, But, I mean, you know, March, she could have done the same thing to March, I'm sure. But here we are. Now we're back with Austrian Grand Prix. It's August 15th, 1976. And we're at that one that I can't can't say the name of, but I'm going to try for you guys anyways. It's the Austrike Ring? I feel like that one one wasn't too bad. (laughs) The 11th race in the season. Now, Ram Racing gets out of their legal troubles from the last race by rehiring Loris Kessel to partner with Lombardi. They really said, we don't have the energy to do this. Just join. Like, they they did not care. And Lombardi qualifies, proving that even with an out-of-date, shitty car, she could still make 24th in the 26-person grid. She manages to finish the race in 12th place, even though her team was absolute trash and she deserved better. But unfortunately, this would end up being the last Formula One race that Lombardi would ever participate in. I, you know, it, it makes sense. It's just sad. The Dutch Grand Prix is at Circuit Park, Zandvoort, August 29th. It's the 12th race of the season. Lombardi is meant to be entered in this race, but shockingly, Ram Racing was forced to withdraw their entries due to shipping issues. So they couldn't get all of their equipment there and they had to withdraw. Italian Grand Prix, Autodromo Nazionale Monza, September 12th of 1976. It's the 13th race of the season. And Ram Racing, once again, was a huge letdown. And despite being set to make a return with Lombardi, they just never showed up. Uh, I I genuinely can't imagine being like, oh, I'm going to race today. And then you your sponsor just isn't there. Like, your team is like, yeah, she'll figure it out eventually. I would be so pissed. Um, I hope it didn't go down like that. I hope there was a conversation that Lombardi was a part of, but uh, I have no faith in these old racing teams at this point after doing all of this research. I really think they would have just let her show up and be confused. And after this, we do just stop hearing about Lombardi and Ram Racing for the rest of the season. I mean, they disappear. There's no entries made. There's nothing. They're just, they've fallen for, you know, <laughs> I'm going to make the pun and please don't hate me for it, off the grid. So we move on to Lombardi's later life. She officially retires from racing in 1988. Uh, 1989, she ends up founding her own racing team, which is, again, kind of a boss move. It's 
Lombardi Autosport. Uh, it seems to still be around from what I could find, but unfortunately, the only things I could find about it were in all Italian, and my computer literally would not translate these pages. Like, I would hit translate, and it would just, like, translate into ones and zeros, and I was like, okay, so we don't get that. But I'm, I'm hoping that that means it's still around, and it's just primarily active in Europe rather than the U.S., but... I have no idea. Um, I hope though. March 3rd, 1992, at the very, very young age of 50 years old, Lella Lombardi dies of cancer in Milan, unfortunately. She is survived by her partner, Fiorenza, and she is commemorated by a bust in her birthplace of Frugarolo. And that's, that's Lella. That's it. And you know, when I told you that these episodes might be longer, I lied they're going to be shorter. Unfortunately, much less humorous while I get used to talking to the microphone, Um, but we're working on it. It's a work in progress, and if you can handle these awkward episodes with me for, you know, a few weeks, then we are going to be just fine, and this is going to be a really, really good setup. So yeah, I mean, you guys check back in. I'm not giving you a timeline every time that has happened in these previous episodes. It like jinxed it and it never happened, but these will be more consistent. You will be able to listen to these more frequently and you will get to choose to hear me drone on. Anyways, uh, yeah, I think we used to end these on stay safe, but COVID's kind of over. So uh, stay cool, vibe hard, catch you later.